0: But I'd love you to listen this morning and maybe turning your Bibles back to um, Mark chapter 4, to the passage that Matthew so beautifully read for us. We are thrilled to have the BB and the GB and their leaders and their families with us this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm aware, though, that the reality of suffering in this world, like the horrors of war, um, are often put forward as concrete reasons for not believing in God, or at least— for feeling that we can't fully trust God. And I want to crack open briefly that subject with you this morning because that's exactly the issue that Jesus raises with his disciples. They don't raise it with him. He raises it with them in this passage. And I'd love you to track with me as we look at three subjects this morning and three particular ways of... um, considering this. I think it will appear there on the screen. Maybe Steph will advance it for us. There are three scenes I want us to see. Scene one in the storm. So scene one in the storm. It had been a fairly typical day for the Lord Jesus, and uh, he and his disciples had been busy with a vast crowd of people, as he often was at this time, and they were just engaged in, in uh Crowd control, as Jesus was, was teaching, with such power and authority that people had never heard anything like it before when they, when they encountered him and his word. And uh, that was a remarkable thing. But as we look at verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. So they went sailing that evening at the initiative of the Lord Jesus. There didn't seem to be any hint of deteriorating weather at this point. A number of the disciples you may know already were former fishermen called from a life uh, in the fishing industry. So I guess they would have instinctively have checked the weather before they went into the boat to set sail. So there they went, verse 36. Leaving the crowd, they took him, that is Jesus, with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And at that moment, it was plain sailing, literally. All was calm, all was bright. It was an evening cruise in Loch Lomond. Only, it was much bigger than Loch Lomond. The Sea of Galilee was probably about the size of the North Channel between Scotland and Northern Ireland. It was huge. But everything was fine at this point. The little flotilla of boats headed off, following the boat in which Jesus was. It was all good. But then verse 37 a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. We don't get a sense about beginning small and building, do we? It, this storm seems to have fallen upon them very suddenly. It came with a suddenness, with a, a ferocity that even the experienced sailors, the former fishermen, were terrified. I don't know if you've ever had that experience on a boat or maybe you've been flying on your holidays or in business and the plane has gone through some clear air turbulent, turbulence, and uh, you're maybe in the middle of your chicken curry, and the next thing, your chicken curry's three feet above you. It can be a little bit unsettling, especially if you're hungry. But um, even if you haven't had that kind of physical experience in a storm, I guess we all know what it's like to go from flat, calm in life one minute to gale force 11 the next You know that terrifying sea change in life, don't you? That can happen when a a phone call comes in or a text message receiving bad news. Or as a young person, you're maybe slightly lacking confidence going into a situation and you're looking forward to your mate being there with you and then you get the message, he can't make it. And suddenly the day has changed. Your stomach goes tight. You're panicking. You don't feel great about what's coming. You were quite content. Now you're in a bit of a flap. Or maybe you get bad news from the doctor. Or maybe the word comes of redundancy. Or you hear of an accident that's taking place in an area where you know a loved one is going to be, and you just feel that sickness in your stomach. And it's rather like the disciples in the boat, that the waves are coming into the vessel of our lives. And we've moved from being pretty chilled to stark terror in seconds. Now, what we're reading about here in Mark chapter 4 actually happened on a real boat on the real Sea of Galilee. This is real history we're looking at. This storm is not a metaphor, but it does speak to us about how do we navigate the storms of life if we have trust in Jesus. What does that look like to trust in him when things go horribly wrong and we feel as though our lives are being threatened? We sang earlier of that experience, will your anchor anchor holding the storms of life. And it's perfectly legitimate to make the link between what we're seeing in the storm here in Mark chapter 4 and the storms that we encounter. Verse 30 37 describes what it is to be overwhelmed. The boat was filling. The water was soaking their clothes, chilling their bodies. The increase in weight meant that the boat was inevitably lying lower in the water. That is a terrifying experience. That's what's going on in this text. So, strike with me as we move to the second thing. Scene one in the storm, scene two in the stern. Now, I would say, I don't know about you, but I would say that this gets stranger before it gets better in this story. This gets very weird. So verse 37, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. That has to be significant. Notice the detail Mark gives us. He got this detail from a guy called Peter, who was with Jesus in the boat, who was actually there. Mark wasn't there, but he was Writing this down from the eyewitness account of Peter. The Lord to whom they had looked to deal with every threat. And if you read the early chapters of Mark, you see Jesus dealing with everything we can't deal with. And they had learned to trust in him. They would learned that he would intervene. He would turn their darkness to light. He would dispel every threat. Now as they look, they find him sleeping in the stern, a seemingly unaware, unaffected, unconcerned. His followers are at their wits' end. But Jesus was cushioned, comfortable, we might even say comatose. Now the question is, is that a good look for the Lord of glory? Jesus out for the count in the midst of a crisis. You might think of the teeming thousands who have lost their lives in conflict throughout history and to this very moment as you see the suffering in the Middle East or Ukraine or any of the dozens of other war theatres around the world at this moment in time and you might be asking, well, where is your mighty God now? You Christian people at Hamilton Baptist Church, where, where is your mighty God? If he is there, it's all right for him. He's not affected. He doesn't care. He's on a cushion. If he was as loving as you say he is, surely he'd do something about all the suffering in the world. Well, that's the very question that the disciples raise. Jesus was in the stern, verse 38, asleep on a cushion, but they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That's some question, isn't it? Do you not care that we are perishing. Doesn't that represent precisely the agony of many people today who kind of grew up with a kind of faith in Jesus? Didn't know him all that well, but they were kind of taken along by others and were happy to buy in insofar as it went, but they never really went terribly deep with him. And then crisis came into their life, and this was the point at which they diverged. And they came to the conclusion not only to ask the question, but actually they made it a statement. You don't care. You don't care what we're going through. But for the disciples, it was a question. Do you not care that we're perishing? So now there are two storms raging. A physical storm, oh yeah, but also a spiritual storm. It looks like the Lord is sleeping on the job. And as I say, many people have given up on their relationship with the Lord Because they called to him in the storm of their life, and he seemed not to answer. And they wondered, does he care, but he doesn't have the power to intervene? Or if he has the power to intervene, does he not care? I mean, it's got to be one of the two, they would say. I want us to think about this just for a moment this morning. What must this mean for us? to have a picture here of the Lord Jesus sleeping through the Gale Force 11, right at the height of the Beaufort scale, if you know it. Now, we're going to see his evidence of his divinity in a moment, evidence of the fact that he is Lord and God. We'll come to that, and you know what he's going to do. You've already had it read to you. But I want us to see the remarkable evidence of his true humanity here. He's fast asleep on a cushion in the back of that boat in the midst of an absolute howling storm. That means that Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, knows what it's like to be physically exhausted. Have you felt that way? Some of these young people probably haven't necessarily had the, that experience. You've probably been tired at night, but once you're a bit older, you will know what it is to be absolutely exhausted. Because you get so much energy when you're young, it's fantastic. You hit the teams. you want to lie in your bed all day, I get that. But that's slightly different from just being absolutely overwhelmed with tiredness. We moved house at the end of last week and we had a busy few days. The removers came to our house on Thursday and then on Friday we moved here and we were getting everything sorted out and uh, I was here last Sunday morning and um, by Sunday afternoon we went to my dad's for our, our lunch and as we were sitting afterwards, it was either before or afterwards, uh, I was sitting on the couch just chilling out, and one of my delightful daughters took a very flattering picture of me catching flies. (laughs) I'd sat in the seat, I'd somehow tuned out, the conversation around me just seemed to drift away, and the next thing I was gone. Now I can do that anytime. I'm very skilled. I can sleep on a on a stamp, as they say. But it does help me to know when I begin to get the staggers and feel absolutely exhausted. That the Lord to whom I pray, he knows how that feels. Now that points to the reality of his humanity. That is an indication of the fact that there is nothing you will experience that he doesn't know about. That's a very precious thing to us. How remarkable. But how do we learn to trust him? Just because he can fall asleep, how does that that help us? Well, keep tracking. He awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace be still, verse 39. And the wind ceased and there was great Calm. So now the one who is exhausted, who is a real human being, real flesh and blood like you and me, came into the world through the birth canal as we're about to celebrate at Christmas. Yes, in every way human like you and me, now this one does something in the boat that I can't do. I can fall asleep, but I can't do this. He stands up and he speaks to the forces of nature that have no ears and no brain to process language. And yet the wind dies down, and it is completely calm. The only other time you see power like this is in the world of the fantasy superheroes and comics and cartoons. The Lord Jesus isn't a fictional character. This is God in human flesh. He rebukes the forces of nature. That's a strong word. We sang earlier on of how he, at creation, set the boundaries for the land and the sea. And now the boundaries were being exceeded by the sea. And just in the way that the teacher comes in, you know what it's like, young people, when the teacher nips out to go to the common room for a coffee or a a quick cigarette or whatever it may be, or to take a phone call as they always have to do mid-double period. Whatever it may be, the teacher goes out and they say, now look, just carry on with your work. How long is it before chaos breaks out in the class? Is it one minute, two minutes before one of the boys pings something with a ruler and you get a rubber in the back of the head and then it's World War III. And then what happens when the teacher comes back in again? Bang! The Gifted teacher walks in, oh, everybody knows about it. Authority has been reestablished. A rebuke is issued. Suddenly you're all like mice. We've all been there. We all know that experience. And this is what it's like. Jesus speaks like that in the way that a teacher would to a rebellious class, he speaks to the forces of nature. He commands their instant cooperation. And the wind and the waves that are displaced with his sovereign majesty, they listen to what he commanded and they do it. Now, sometimes the wind dropped suddenly, as suddenly as it rose in Galilee. Yes, that's true. But the sea never instantly came. If you know anything about sailing, even once the wind has dropped, if it has been high enough, the surface of the water remains choppy for, well, it can for days, but certainly for hours after the storm has blown itself out. Most things are beyond our control, but there is absolutely nothing beyond the control of the Lord Jesus. He rules over everything. That means he rules over calamity. That means he still rules over conflict. That means he rules over things like cancer. He rules over everything that threatens to overwhelm us. It means that he is not overwhelmed by the things that overwhelm us. Psalm 29 says it says he sits enthroned over the storm. But how does this help us? What's the takeaway for us today? Is there anything here that can help us navigate? life with trust in the Lord Jesus when the storms of our lives aren't immediately calmed. When we still have to deal with calamity and conflict and cancer and other tragedies. Well, let me draw your attention to what happened. Third scene, in the stillness. Now the immediate danger has passed. Jesus has calmed cause and effect, wind and waves. But that's not the end of what he's teaching the disciples here. The point is not, so I'm going to tell you what the point is not. It's not if you trust him and ask him with enough faith, you will get the intervention you require. I've heard the passage preached like that. I've heard it mangled like that. That's not what Jesus is teaching us here. And we know that because in the stillness, verse 40, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid, have you still no faith? Now this is massive. So if you've, all that talk about sleep, if you've drifted off, please come back for these closing moments. Jesus is saying to his disciples, do you still not know me? Do you still not trust me? Do you still have no faith And why would he say that? Because they had woken him up in the storm and said, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't Don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus regards that as an evidence of having no faith rather than an evidence of having faith. This is a very important thing to understand. According to Jesus, it's an evidence of us having no faith when in the storm, we go back to wondering if he cares. And don't we do that? We're happy to sing his praise. We're happy to trust him where everything's going fine. The storm comes and suddenly, when he's not behaving in the way that we think he should behave, when he seems to be asleep on the job, we don't know if we can trust him anymore. That is very true to life. That's an expose of my heart. And I guess you can identify that with that as well. But according to Jesus, for us to think like that is to still have no trust ultimately in him. The living Lord is able to hold his people in the midst of the storm, even when he doesn't calm it instantly. And often that's the case. We're interrupting our series in 1 Peter uh, to do this this morning because I wanted something a a, a bit briefer and a bit more pertinent to the occasion. But what we're learning in 1 Peter is is precisely this point. That there is lots of suffering that comes into the lives of those who know and love the Lord. And we wish it wouldn't, but it does. And we're discovering week by week as we go through 1 Peter that God is sovereign over it and that he has the ability to hold his people in the midst of it. He's in the boat in the storm with us. Now, Mark wrote his gospel sometime in the mid to late fifties to the mid to late sixties AD. That was a period of terrible suffering for Christians in the Roman world under Nero. Nero was a bit of a head case. He blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome, and that storm was not calmed before thousands of Christians died in the first century as martyrs under Nero's persecution. So Mark's original readers needed to know that there will be times when it seems as though the Lord Jesus doesn't know and doesn't care and is asleep. It may look as though what they're going through he neither knows about nor cares about. They need to know that neither of these is true. And Mark 4 is there to help them and to help us, to know that he does know that he does care. He'll not always prove that he knows and cares by calming the storm. He'll not make everything perfect in this world. One day he will when he comes again, but for the moment he won't do that. And true faith is not having the confidence that he will immediately chase away every cloud, but rather is trusting that he is good and that he is God. And knowing that we are neither. We're not God and we're not perfectly good in the way that he is. And you have to know him to be able to trust him like that. And That's why making time to get together around the word of God is so important. That's how we get to know him and understand him. And so rather, we learn to trust Him that He will, verse 35, bring us safely to the other side, as He always said He would with the disciples. So there are terrifying storms. There are fiery trials that come into the lives of the Lord's people. They may look as though they will overwhelm us at times. There are lots of questions we have about life in this world. There are lots of things that are difficult for us to understand. There are things that happen that we wish didn't happen, and we We find life tortuous and twisted at times. But when we know the Lord is God, we learn to see these experiences not as incompatible with our our powerful God and His purposes for us, but as circumstances in which He has purposes that we cannot yet see. And there's one more remarkable aspect of the stillness that day for us to notice as we close. The disciples of the Lord Jesus were now more afraid than they had been even in the height of the storm. Verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. There's such authenticity about that, isn't there? That is such an authentic pointer to what that felt like on that day. Can you imagine that moment? As they were afraid to look Jesus in the eye, they weren't clueless about his identity. They were Jewish men. They'd grown up listening to the Psalms. They they listened to the Psalms, such as Sophie read to us earlier on, Psalm 107, talking about the exact experience they had just been through. And they knew from all of the Psalms that only the Lord their God could calm the wind and the waves. And so it's beginning to dawn on them. But they're mystified. If Jesus is who we think he is, if he is almighty God in human flesh, what's he doing in our we boat? Why is he putting up with our misunderstandings and our faithlessness? Whose idea was it to rudely waken him and ask him, didn't he care that we're drowning? Now the perspective has changed because they're in the presence of the Lord. They suddenly get it. And listen, friends, all the questions, all the reasons that we put up for not trusting in him, one day when we're in his presence, they are going to flee. So it's great to get to know him now. And this is the wonder of it. Mark chapter 4 prevents, presents this sovereign Lord in a body, in human flesh and blood, in a boat, in a lake, in a storm with his people. And he was there that day because he he had come to take flesh, to experience everything we experience except he didn't sin. And then having poured himself out in selfless love to go to the cross and be nailed to it and die in agony, bearing our sin. So that one day when he comes again in power and glory, those whose trust is in him can be with him forever. Where there'll be no more storms, and no more sickness and no more sadness ever. And so the lesson of Mark 4 is of infinitely greater significance than the storms of life, or of us surviving the storms and the trials of life. When you know the answer to the question, who is this? when you see that he is Lord and God, when you come to put your trust in him, even when he doesn't do what you want him to do because he is God and he knows better, then our fears do go as his peace comes. And he carries us through. And as a guy called Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher in London of a past generation, he said, in the times when we cannot trace his hand we learn to trust his heart. When we can't see what he's doing, we learn to trust his heart, that he is good, that he is loving, that he has given himself for us, and that he lives today to be our Savior. Let's take a moment to pray about that before we sing again. So, our gracious Father, having looked briefly at this passage this morning, we pray now for your help to hear that point of Jesus. Do you still have no faith? Do you still not trust me? And thank you that there is all the evidence in your word that you are the sovereign Lord, that you are in control, even when that control looks different from what it would look like as we imagine ourselves to be in your shoes. But we're thankful that we're not in your shoes. And we're thankful that you're sovereign. Thank you for all the times that you do calm the storm. But grant us to have our faith and trust in you in those times when you don't. And I pray for anyone this morning who who has been deeply unsettled by this world who tries to reconcile what they see with the truth of there being a loving, powerful God. Grant that even this amazing few verses from history would speak powerfully into our lives today, and some would come to put their trust in you. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen.